This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network. I think real success is having a goal that is worthwhile and spending your life doing your very best to reach that goal. Well, today, I'd like to tell you the story of a man who fits that example. It wasn't easy to achieve his goal, but he never stopped in his quest. And what was his title? What was he known as? What was his job? He was a doorkeeper. That's right, a doorkeeper. Well, maybe we better start at the beginning. His mother and father were both immigrants to the United States from Ireland back in the 1800s when many thousands flocked to this country seeking a better life. Young Ellen Murphy came with her widowed mother and brothers and sisters and settled in Boston, and a few years later, Barney Casey came to the United States from Ireland with his brother looking for a better life. A few years later, Barney and Ellen met and eventually married and moved westward to try their luck at farming. Starting with 80 acres and a small cabin, Barney was a hard worker, and as more children arrived, he would acquire more land and build bigger houses. They would eventually have 16 children, but our story focuses on the sixth child, named Bernard Francis Casey. Now, prayer was an important part of the Casey household, especially after the diphtheria epidemic that claimed two of the children and left young Bernard Francis Casey with a squeaky little voice that would last throughout his lifetime. And as the children grew, their parents made certain that their Catholic faith was the mainstay and center of their lives. There was the daily family rosary, and the rosary also became an important part in the life of Bernard Francis Casey. One night after young Bernard Francis had been toiling extra hard on the farm and was practically on the verge of exhaustion, he crawled onto his bed and, with a sigh, remembered he hadn't prayed his rosary that day. Oh, well, God will forgive me one day, he probably thought, but a second thought wouldn't allow him to go to sleep without praying his rosary. To him, God always came first. So he popped out of bed, and kneeling by his bedside, he prayed his rosary and then went to bed. He would recount many times the dream that he had that night. He dreamt that he was dangerously suspended over an open fire with the flames bursting upward. Only the fact that he was holding on to something kept him from being lost in the flames. And looking upward, he saw that it was a rosary that he was holding on to that saved him. Well, that might be a little lesson for you and me, too. Well, the years were passing and the children grew to adulthood. One of the older boys, Maurice, decided that the priesthood was for him, and off he went to the seminary. And Bernard Francis, often called Barney after his father, harbored the thought that just maybe he, too, could become a priest. But there was to be a problem. Maurice had a nervous condition that interfered with his studies, and he ultimately returned home. 
while young Barney Jr. immediately felt that if Maurice, to whom he would look up to, couldn't make it, well, there wasn't much of a chance that he could make it either. When young Barney was growing up, schools were few and far between, and while he had graduated from grade school, the situation was such that he had not attended high school. And as time went by, and we know that when business there are tough times, and certainly that holds true to farming, and during one of the rougher times, young Barney thought, well, if he struck out on his own, that would be one less mouth to feed, plus he could help his family. So, seeking to help his family by working as a lumberjack and even as a prison guard, young Barney tried to do his best. Sometimes later, he took a job as a trolley conductor, and one day he came upon a horrible scene in the street that caused the trolley to have to stop. In the street, there was a young woman who had been killed viciously stabbed, stabbed to death by a young sailor. Well, the scene of man's inhumanity to man had a life-changing impact on young Barney. An ungodly act made him want to make a difference, and he decided that indeed the priesthood was his means to make a difference. He met with a holy priest who recommended a seminary in Milwaukee. He applied and was accepted, but there were problems, even at the beginning. Since he had not graduated from high school, the now 21-year-old Barney Jr. had to attend four-year high school classes starting with 13- and 14-year-old boys. But he persevered and was finally admitted to the college and maintained a barely passing average. The courses were particularly hard because they were given in Latin and German obviously languages he never spoke. While his difficulty was in grasping classes in foreign language, his professors recognized his spirituality, his kindness and consideration, as well as leadership. But even with his many positive qualities, at the age of 25, young Barney was sent back home. He met again with his spiritual director and still believed that he had a calling for the priesthood and was given the names of several other religious orders that he might consider. Then, while attending Mass on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, he was struck with a feeling that the Blessed Mother was speaking to him and directing him to the Capuchins in Detroit. But his mind was now made up. He arrived at the St. Bonaventure Monastery in Detroit on a snowy Christmas Eve in 1896, and in mid-January of 1897, he was clothed in the brown habit of the Capuchin Order and was given a new name in honor of St. Francis Solanus. And since there was already another friar at St. Bonaventure's named Francis, the order was reversed, and he now answered to the name Solanus. And that was the end of Bernard Francis Casey, but the beginning of the story of Solanus Casey. Now, Solanus Casey and those in his class would be sent to the St. Francis Monastery in Milwaukee, the major Capuchin Seminary. 
But to his horror, many of his classes were again in German and Latin. Even though he worked and studied hard, his grades were barely passing. But his superiors recognized in him surely a mountain of holiness and spirituality. Now, there were six men in his class. Three had good or average passing grades in academics, and three men, including Solanus, had only marginal grades, and this presented a quandary to the seminary. But then it was decided that the latter three, which included Solanus Casey, would be ordained to become what is known as simplex priests, which means they are not given the faculties to hear confession and give absolution or give doctrinal sermons. But Solanus was ecstatic and not resentful of the limited Im- the limitations that were imposed on his priesthood because, as he viewed it, it was God's will. And since Solanus had made it, he was now an example to his brother Maurice, who, well, he returned to the seminary and he too was ordained. And so the story of Solanus Casey was now beginning. His first assignment was in Yonkers, New York, where as a simplex priest, he was given several minor responsibilities, including that of the doorkeeper. Not disappointed with his assignments, but rather overjoyed because this gave Solanus the opportunity of coming in personal contact with people who needed help. His innate humility and love for all of God's children mingled with his belief in prayer made everyone who came in contact with him feel not only important, but also a little closer to God. People would talk to him. Then things happened, good things. The people would tell others. Many with problems would be told to go to the monastery and see the Holy Father there. And for those who could not come to the monastery, Father Solanus would find a way to go to them. As time passed, amazing cures were attributed to his intercession. Father Solanus was called to visit a lady who had just had a baby. The baby had a bad infection and was expected to die. He went to the lady's house with holy water, blessed both the house and the baby, and what happened? The child got over the infection and lived a long life. Father Solanus helped find jobs for those out of work, and if he saw one in the street who was hungry, he would bring them inside and give them a bowl of soup as well as his prayerful attention. His gifts were not for Catholics alone, but he reached out to anyone who needed a helping hand or a sympathetic ear. For 14 years, the doorkeeper at the monastery in Yonkers labored tirelessly for those in need, and and many hours were passed praying for anyone asking for his help. In July of 1918, he was transferred to Our Lady of Sorrows in Lower Manhattan, where he was made director of the Young Ladies' Sodality, and regardless of his wispy voice, he was remembered by the inspirational and eloquent talks that he gave to the ladies during his three years there before again being transferred to Our Lady of the Angels in Harlem, 
where he was once again the doorkeeper. One of his new interests was the Seraphic Mass Association that was organized to support the Capuchin missions. He had members sign up for the association, promising frequent communion and confession and offering, if possible, for the missions. When Father Solanus enrolled someone in the Seraphic Mass Association, wonderful results were usually received. After signing up, people would return to Father Solanus with happy tales of success and even cures and favors they had received. He would always remind them that the favors were the work of God and they should go and thank him. And now more and more people were seeking him out for his counsel and advice as his reputation grew as a source for the healing of the body, the spirit, and the mind. He always suggested that the individual thank God in advance for any favors, and when someone would come back to him with reports of prayers answered, he would always tell them to perform some act of charity in return. And when someone came to see Father Solanus, no matter the time of day, how busy he was, how many people were waiting, he would never hurry them or rush them. And if someone were in need in the middle of the night, well, he would get up and talk to them. Now, his superior was hearing more and more reports of favors being granted through the prayers and intercession of Father Solanus, so many that the superior required him to start a notebook listing favors that had been granted for which he had been asked to pray. So with a scratchy pen, Father Solanus started a list. For example, he would write, Mary Smith asked prayers for the cure of her dying husband. Cure granted. Deo gratias, thanks be to God. Father Solanus did as he was told, and when he died many years later, He had filled seven notebooks with over 6,000 entries of cures or answers to prayers or favors received. The word of this holy man in Harlem continued to spread. The people from not only New York but surrounding states like New Jersey and Connecticut were also seeking him out. And in August of 1924, Father Solanus was assigned to the job of doorkeeper back of the monastery at St. Bonaventure. The notebook continued in great use. One of the big stories in the mid-1925 and 1926s was the big decline in auto sales with the resultant effect on the workers. One John McKenna, a Chevrolet worker, came to Father Solanus telling him that he only had worked two hours that day. Well, Father Solana suggested he enrolled Chevrolet in the Seraphic Mass Association. If it worked for a person, perhaps it would work for a company. McKenna agreed and even gave 50 cents for an enrollment donation. Two nights later, McKenna returned excitedly, saying that the company had just received an order for 45,000 machines due in 30 days. The company was saved and so were the jobs. In the monastery of St. Bonaventure, 
there was a humble man with a squeaky voice whose job was that of a doorkeeper, the porter, who was now being visited by politicians, prelates, business executives, as well as the famous and the spiritually depressed, even communists and atheists, all wanting to speak to the holy man at St. Bonaventure's, and Father Solanus made himself available to everyone. One woman skeptic said she was surprised to see her rabbi hobbling in to see Father Solanus, but became a believer when she saw the rabbi leave without his cane. In the stock market collapse of 1929, the Capuchin Third Order took over an enlarged soup kitchen and sought contributions from the rich and poor to feed the hungry and the destitute. One day, Father Solanus received word that they were running out of bread and there were still many, many people waiting to eat. Father Solanus left his porter's desk by the front door and hurried to the kitchen and, and told the workers to join him in praying the Our Father. As they were finishing the prayer, there was a knock at the delivery door, and when they opened it, a man entered, carrying a basket of bread announcing that he had a truckload for them. Everyone pitched in to unload the truck, and when all the loaves were stacked in the kitchen, there were more loaves than the truck could hold. Father Solanus undoubtedly said his usual Deo gratias, thanks be to God, and went back to his desk. Father Solanus often seemed to know the answer to the prayers. One couple came with the story of their very sick little girl. They told Father how sick she was, and he listened carefully and very quietly told them, You know the dear Lord wants little angels for saints, too. He often would urge people to be grateful to God for all things, even suffering. He once said, When Jesus sends crosses and trials into our life, he is inviting us to help save the world. Well, Father Solanus continued a hectic schedule, often in poor health, with many serious ailments throughout his life, often resulting in hospitalization. But as soon as he recovered, he would be back at his desk. He was transferred to Brooklyn, New York in 1945, and then to Huntington, Indiana the following year, where he might have a little less hectic pace as he was getting older and older. And while in Indiana, a Catholic judge came to visit Father Solanus and had with him one of his friends who was a Jewish doctor. It so happened that the Jewish doctor's son was, at that time, dying from spinal meningitis. And as they talked, Father Solanus said, I understand you are a Jew. And the doctor said that he was, and Father Solanus replied, That's okay, doctor. After all, religion can be defined as a science, and if it can, and I claim that it is, unquestionably the greatest science of all times. In fact, it is nothing less than the science of our happy relationship with God and our neighbors. They finished their visit, and the doctor returned to the hospital and was met by his wife reporting, At 1.30, our son opened his eyes and smiled at me. That was the exact time the judge and the doctor were talking with Father Solanus. 
A week later, the boy had returned to perfect health. The days at Huntington were supposed to be less stressful for Father Solanus, but he was always ready to give of himself. He once remarked to a colleague, I'm getting old. I used to be able to go on for 22 hours a day, and now I can't stay up any more than 18 hours. His work with people was more like work with souls. It was said that when he looked at you, it it seemed that he was not seeing you, but something infinitely beautiful beyond you, and that instead of looking at you, he was looking at the Creator. And even in Huntington, people still sought out Father Solanus, with groups often coming by the busload. But Father Solanus's health was deteriorating, and his body was racked by chronic eczema and phlebitis, and, and was so severe that the physicians feared they may have to amputate his legs. His calm reaction was, if the legs have to come off, that's okay. If they stay, that's okay too. Always yielding to the will of God. And because of his many health concerns, in January of 1956, Solanus was returned to Detroit for more advanced medical care and was back again at St. Bonaventure's. On Christmas night in 1956, a novice entered the chapel to say a prayer. And there was Father Solanus, alone with his violin, serenading the Christ child with his violin and singing Christmas carols to him. But his physical condition worsened, as in a way he was suffering his own calvary. His skin condition that had bothered him throughout his life became dramatically worse and, and began to spread throughout his entire body and finally becoming so weak that he was taken to the hospital where he hovered between life and death, suffering greatly. One of the brothers remarked, You must be in great pain, to which Father Solanus answered, Would to God that it were ten thousand times worse, so that I would have something to offer God in thanksgiving for his great love and mercy. He said often that when the time of his death approached. He wished to be conscious so that he could have the joy of surrendering his soul to God. On July 30th, 1957, Father Ger Gerald Walker, who was the provincial at the time and a former altar boy of Father Solanus, visited the good porter of St. Bonaventure's as his life was coming to a close. And Father Solanus said to him, I looked on my whole life as giving, and I want to give until there is nothing left of me to give. So I prayed that when I die, I might be perfectly conscious so that with a deliberate act, I can give my last breath to God. The following morning, around 11 o'clock, one of the sisters was bathing his body of sores, and Father Solanus was mumbling quietly, but then suddenly he raised himself up in bed and with a strong, clear voice proclaimed, I give my soul to Jesus Christ. And Father Solanus then made this world a little poorer. 
Thousands attended his funeral. The crowd was so great that the street in front of St. Bonaventure's was closed to traffic, and people jammed the sidewalk to reverently say, say goodbye to a dear friend. The sun probably didn't seem quite so bright that sad day in Detroit, but undoubtedly there was brightness of joy in heaven as the multitude of angels surely gave glory to God for his beautiful creation known as Father Solanus Casey Capuchin, still asking for his intercession and receiving it. People today are often praying for his intercession. After all, he is now much closer to God and his legacy lives on. Brother Leo Wollenweber, in his biography, Meet Solanus Casey, quotes Solanus Casey as saying, We are continually immersed in God's merciful grace, like the air that permeates us. Soon after Solanus Casey's death, a movement was started to consider him as a candidate for canonization. Official approval to open the cause was granted in 1982, and in 1983, the new Archbishop of Detroit issued a decree opening the diocesan investigation into the life and virtues of the servant of God, Solanus Casey. Many witnesses who knew him were called over several years to testify to his extraordinary virtues. The witnesses included priests, religious, and lay people. And on October 13, 1984, with the investigation completed, over 36,000 typed pages of testimony were presented to the Congregation for the Cause of Saints. And on July 11, 1995, cardinals and bishops met with Pope John Paul II for the promulgation of the decree of heroic virtue bestowing on Father Solanus Casey the title of Venerable on the Path to Sainthood. You can obtain more information on the life of the Venerable Solanus Casey by going online at www.solanuscasey.org. I believe the life of Solanus Casey was God's gift to us with a very special message. Solanus Casey showed us we don't have to move mountains. Sometimes it is in the small things we do with our lives that enable us to sow the seeds that produce the most beautiful blooms. And just perhaps it is fitting that we continue to refer to Father Solanus Casey as the doorkeeper. The doorkeeper to heaven, that is. This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network.